Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor. I'm Jesse Mayer, the host of this podcast with Dr. Douglas Peak, a podcast designed to help you develop a biblical framework in which to understand what is happening in your world today. <laughs> Let's welcome Dr. Peak. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for joining me today. I especially want to encourage you to uh, get as much as you can out of this. If you believe that uh, fluff is not enough anymore, then this is the place for you. My goal is to show you how to think for yourself so that your faith grows. And if you're concerned with what's going on in the world uh, today and you want real answers to tough questions, then this is the place for you. So last week we launched a brand new series called essential. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to answer the question of why you are essential. Every human being, including you, needs to uh, to know that their life matters. The answer is found in the New Testament book of Ephesians, as we started diving into last week. Mm -hmm. And we dug into the first chapter, discovered that the reason we are essential is because you and I are at the center of God's cosmic plan. It's true that we are created in the image of God, but this in and of itself does make us essential. Mm -hmm. We are created in the image of God for a purpose, and his cosmic plan revolves around this purpose for you and me. So let's pick up where we left off last week and see why your faith is essential. Well, the key to understanding how uh, faith is essential, uh, because you're essential, actually begins in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now, in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul basically says that based on the fact that you're created in the image of God for a purpose, and you're at the center of God's cosmic plan, I want you to get it. I want you to know something. So listen to verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, I pray. So he's praying for this. You know, when you really want something to happen, you have an objective, you pray for it. He says that the eyes of your heart. So it's interesting how he connects eyes to your heart. He says, may be enlightened. And then there's a very important phrase here in, in the Greek. It's a, it's a purpose clause. And it says, in order that. And that tells us why he's praying for us and our eyes to be opened. That you may know three things. First, the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So the point he is making is that you and I need to open our eyes so we know about the power of God in our lives. Yes, this is why faith is essential. Your faith is essential. What you believe is one of the most important things about you. Our faith is what opens our eyes so that we can know the incomparable power for those of us who believe. So our faith is is that opening of our eyes to see who God is, what God has done in our lives. So that's very, very, very important. So this this power that we we're we're experiencing why is it so important what impact does it have on our lives well that's when chapter two really kicks off okay and the first thing it does is that this incomparably great power 
uh, does something in you first. And he lays it out in verses 1 through 10, where he says, We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For, so for one and two, he says, okay, we y- used to live in the ways of the world. And we could go into that, but for time's sake, we're just going to say the notion that you're the center of the universe, that you can solve all your own problems on your own, you can fix yourself, or you're a complete victim and you don't have any you know, uh, capacity to overcome anything. These are all ways of the world. Overt materialism, uh, uh, pursuing nothing but success and fame and self-affirmation and all this kind of stuff. These are the things of the world. He says then, he goes, all of us used to live in them because they cause death, all right? Verse three, he says, all of us lived among them at one time. So when we live thinking in the way of the world, it says we are gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So what's really interesting here is that so many people uh, come to me as a pastor and they ask me, you know, well, I have this desire or I have this craving and these desires and these cravings revolve basically around one of three things. People say, well, I have a dream or I have a, a, a craving, you know, to make more money and to take care of my family. And it's really important to me. And I, I you know, gauge my life by my win-loss record and money and so forth. Is that wrong? So the first one has a tendency to focus around money, right? right. The second one is this, and that is, is that, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to get rich. I, it's not money for me, you know, but I, I want to have a really good reputation, in the community. And I want, you know, I'm into politics and I want to make an influence. I want my life to matter. And, you know, uh, it could be for all of these different reasons. Uh, so that tends to be about power, you know? And then the last one, which is probably one of the biggest one is sex. And I have people who come to me and say, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm married, but I'm just not happy. And is it wrong to want to be happy? You know, and you dig into it and you're like, well, no, it's not wrong in general to be, you know, to want to be happy or filled with joy. But what do you think? Well, I met this new person. I'm really sexually attracted to him and so forth. Uh, I've had the people who've come to me and say, well, you know, God created me with same sex attraction. And so, um, so God must be affirming this in me and it can't be wrong. And, uh, uh, some people are like, uh, uh, no, um, in other situations, it's like, well, I've been, you know, I'm not married and I don't want to get married, but I, I have all these sexual drives. And so I don't think it's wrong to, uh, you know, be with another consenting adult. That can't be wrong. So you have all these different ways, but they all revolve around sexual d- desires. And, and it's really important what he says here. He goes, look, everybody lives at one time gratifying the cra- cravings of our flesh. Right. You know, our flesh craves things. But he says at the end of verse three, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Mm. You know, there's something, for some reason, that by nature, when we pursue that, puts us on the wrong side of God. It separates us from God. Verse 4 says, but because of his great love for us, so this is what's really interesting. He says, the way 
we live, the things we follow, the things we do puts us on the wrong side of God and we should receive the wrath of God. I mean, and what his point is, is that God would be just and right to be wrathful towards us, right? It says, but he isn't wrathful for it towards us. He does because of his great love for us. God is rich in mercy. Verse five, he makes us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So God just doesn't say, you know, okay, you're deserving of my wrath and I won't give it. What he's actually saying, you know what I'm gonna do because of my love for you is I am going to change you so dramatically because of what Christ did on the cross from someone who deserves wrath to one in an honored position who gets the inheritance of everything. So that's quite a shift. That's a huge shift. <laughs> that's yeah. a huge shift. He says he, he wants to do this because in the coming ages, so in, in every ensuing generation, he shows that his riches of what he gives are incomparable with anything in this world. It's expressed in kindness through Christ Jesus. And by grace, we are saved through faith. Now you see the component of faith comes in here right now again, and we see how this component of faith is the thing that unlocks this um, massive work of God. God does all the work. You don't do any of the work, but you have to open your heart to receive what God has done. He goes, look, this is a free gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork. So what God is doing, this transformation in us is God's handiwork. He goes, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the first thing is that the power, this incomparable power that comes from God is manifested in our lives by what it does inside of you and me and every other person. So once this power of God redeems us Mm -hmm. and it changes our nature, like you were talking about, what practical impact does that have in our lives? Well, it's interesting because verse 11, he talks about something that is really significant for what's going on in, on in America today. It's global, but we're really sensitive to it today. And that is ethnic divisions. Hmm. You know, the issue of racism, the issue of uh, bigotry, the issue of minority status or people who are minority and not minorities and so forth. This is really sensitive in America right now. Look, listen to what he says in verse 11. Now, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the fact that Jewish people and Gentile people were very ethnically divided. Okay, they're very ethnically divided, even more so than we are divided along racial lines today. And it was a racial or an ethnic designation. And so listen to what he says. Therefore, that's always a very important word. Based on what he just said, the power of God's work within you and in me, he goes, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, so racially you're a Gentile, you were called uncircumcised by those who are ethnically Jewish, those who called themselves a circumcision. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise and without hope and without God in the world. But So he's saying, okay, at one time when you were pursuing this just like us, 
uh, we are all living according to the flesh, pursuing that. We are separated from Christ. But look at verse 13. But now Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ changed our racial and ethnic designation. Right. So look at verse 14. He himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups. So you have two different racial groups, two different ethnic groups. It says he has made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So what is the barrier? What is the dividing wall of hostility? Because today, there's all this hostility between right. minority groups, non-minority groups, right? Right. We're there's a lot of hostility, <laughs> right? There's a lot of it. And he's saying, okay, look, the Bible here, Paul says, you are correct. Outside of Christ, there is a massive barrier. There is a massive dividing wall of hostility. Now, we go back and see why human nature is that way if we were to go back to Genesis and study the Tower of Babel and that whole situation. But uh, you could dig into that and find some answers. But uh, due to time constraints, we won't do that today. What he does say is this. In verse 15, he says, He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So, what is the cause of the dividing wall of hostility? What is the call, uh, cause of the barrier? Well, it's between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was the law with its commands and regulations. And so the commands and regulations created a culture, all right? And that culture became a barrier to other people participating in the blessing of God because the Jews created a culture that kept everybody out. So today, when I look at all of the racial division happening today, uh, you see that what it is, is it's actually a clash of cultures. And then these cultures are identified by the most significant immediate marker that you can find, and that is a person's skin color, right? Right. So the cause of the dividing wall is the law with its commands and regulations. And this is why Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's not a set of regulations. And this is a little salty, a little controversial. It's not even a moral code. Though we are called to be moral people and though we are called as redeemed people to flee sin and do everything we can against it, we're not to sin so that grace might increase. But when you strip it all down, Christianity is not just a moral code. And a lot of people think it is. And yet that's not what it is. What it is is it's Jesus Christ and his personhood. And as I read earlier, all of this happens because of the power of God as Jesus in our lives, right? Absolutely. So if we keep going on in verse... uh, Uh, 15, it says, his purpose in tearing down these dividing walls, his purpose was to create in himself, notice it's created in Christ, one new humanity out of the two. So he is trying to create in himself one humanity, one race. There's not multiple races. There's not multiple nationalities. There's only in Christ, he's trying to create one humanity out of the two. 
And in that process, he makes peace. So I, I would contend that the only way you can uh, find the answer to racial division is in Christ. Because only Christ has the power to do what? Create a new humanity out of two and bring peace. Verse 16 says, in one body, he wants to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So the only way to get the hostility to be gone between different races is to have it put to death on the cross. Because that's what he says, is that hostility can only be put to death on the cross. So Jesus has one goal, one humanity, and he does it by doing the exact same thing for every person. And that is, he first redeems us as individuals, and then he puts to death the hostility on the cross and makes two into one. So that's how he does it. Now, verse 17 goes on to say, he came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the same way that I access this power, right, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's exactly the same thing in Asia right now. Uh, The most massive uh, growth of the church today is in China and sub-Sahara Africa. It's unbelievable the amount of people that are turning to Christ. They're all turning to Christ exactly in the same way I did all those years ago, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. It was nothing that I personally deserved or warranted. It was God's grace, and God is pouring his grace out on China, and God is pouring his grace out in the 1040 window, and God is pouring his grace out like never before in sub-Sahara Africa. Here's a little factoid for you. (laughs) We love some factoids. You love factoids right now. Yeah, the most oppressive regime, uh, there's two of them that are always in competition for first place against Christians, North Korea and Iran. And today it's estimated that the church has grown to over one million strong in Iran today. Wow. Which is a complete religious Islamic hegemony. That's all it is. Right. And so and if they find out you're a Christian, they imprison you, they torture you. If you're a woman, they rape you over and over again, and then they execute you. They hang you. So, and the church is growing there. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It is. And you know who propagates the growth of the church more than anything else? The women. The women are spreading the gospel there in the most patriarchal, male-dominated hegemony of Islamic fascism. It's unbelievable what's happening there. Yeah. So God is pouring his grace out and he's doing it by preaching peace to all people because we have access to the father by one spirit. And then he finishes off with verse 19. He says, consequently, in other words, this is the whole point. You are no longer a foreigner. You are not a stranger. We are all fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. Meaning we're just not a part of the nation. We're a part of the family, right? right? So we, we are adopted into the family. This truth is built on the foundation of the apostles. It's built on the foundation of the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And it is in him, the whole body of Christ, the whole building is joined together. It is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone that the whole body rises up to become a holy temple in which the Lord dwells. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ 
in him who we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So it's just, it's a phenomenal truth and it is the answer to what we're facing today. So even though this passage is addressing those ethnic divisions that were, that, you know, were between Jews and Gentiles, does this have a broader application that we can look at? Yeah, I think it's a, a principle that is an axiom. Okay, for those of us who don't know what an axiom is, uh, would you help us with that? <laughs> well, an axiom means it is a uh, truth that is unchangeable, and it, is, it, is, it has been proven to be verifiable over and over and over and over again. And so it, it becomes an unchangeable, accepted by all axiom of fact. So that's what it is like a pillar it's like a pillar okay so let's talk takeaways so for our lives what should we take away based on this axiom that we've been studying well i think this passage of scripture is specifically dealing with ethnic and racial division uh it is specifically for the racial and ethnic division that existed between jewish people and gentile people if you want to understand the depth of that division and the depth of that hostility, you, you have to go back and do an in-depth study of the Old Testament, particularly in the area of Nehemiah and Ezra in, in that section. And what you see is you see that in order for them to reestablish the law and to reestablish the covenant, because what had happened is Israel as a nation had ceased to exist. Just a brief summary, and that is, is that King David expanded the kingdom of Israel and made it pretty powerful. Solomon came along and made it even bigger, and it was its wealthiest and its biggest. And then after that, it, you just see secession after secession. Some kings followed God, some didn't, some kept the covenant, some didn't. And eventually the, the kingdom split in two. There was like a civil war, and they split in two. And uh, the first one, the, the northern king, it fell uh, and it ceased to exist. And then the second one fell and ceased to exist. And Jerusalem was seized. And so that's when you had the Babylonian captivity. And so the entire nation of Israel didn't exist anymore. And what happened is Nehemiah then comes back and, and Ezekiel is a part of this. And then you can see the prophet Ezra talk about it. But what happened after all of this was in order to reestablish the covenant and try to, to reaffirm, they had to uh, reestablish the racial purity of the Jewish people. And so they started to annul all mixed marriages and people returned. And so the, to them, their racial purity was a huge deal regarding the covenant. And right here, Paul specifically says that the cause of the hostility was the covenant. It was the law, and it is what built in its rules and regulations this culture of hostility between the two groups. So Paul is just laying down the smack on it. I mean, he is going right for the guts of what, what is causing all of this. So I think that's really important to understand. But be, just because it's for them 
it means it's a biblical principle that becomes axiomatic throughout all time in the life of the church. And that is, we will never have at peace. In other words, it's applicable to us today in this situation. And that is, we will never be at peace with other people until we are at peace with ourselves. And there's no way to be at peace with yourself apart from Christ. There's no way. There's no way you can find peace. There's no way you will ever be affirmed in your humanness. You'll never have a sense that you're fulfilled. You'll always be thirsty for more. And that's why we see these, all these different political movements on the right, far right, far left, and stuff like that. Fascism and totalitarianism and all these forms of government and so forth. Uh, it's never enough. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, people get stuff and then they want more and they're always thirsty for more. They always want to go further. They're not addressing the core problem. They're not addressing the core problem because the problem is the reason all this racial and ethnic division and hostility exists is because of the cravings of the flesh. And we can never be at peace with ourselves apart from Christ. We are incapable of finding that. And there, that in and of its essence is the deception that's going on today. Secondly, we cannot achieve peace with ourselves without experiencing the power of God exhibited in the resurrection. In other words, it's not enough to just know about Jesus and know about the philosophy of Jesus. There's a lot of people today who are saying, well, Jesus was a great moral teacher. And so if we just apply his philosophy, it's going to solve these problems. And I'm saying, yeah, that's not going to work. This is very similar in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, uh, you know, came to Jesus and said, you're a great teacher. However, uh, what must I do? And he basically says, you must be born again. And he's like, yeah, how how does that work? You know, I can't climb up into my mother's womb and be born again. That's kind of creepy weird. And Jesus goes on to talk to him about how the son of man must be lifted up as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And so... What happens in John chapter 3, he basically says that unless we personally experience the transformative power of the resurrection in our lives, in other words, I know that I was dead and now I've been made alive in Christ. And that's why the very first part of our strategy to achieve our mission is to connect people personally to Jesus Christ. Because nothing that we're going to do after that is going to make a hill of bean difference in their life if they haven't met Jesus Christ in a salvific experience. In other words, they were dead and now they are alive, right? So that, that's the second thing. The third thing is this, which is always my favorite thing to say, is that God's cosmic plan, God's cosmic plan is all about peace and it's all about joy. And so... When, whenever human governments say, hey, we're going to do something to bring peace, I chuckle. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's like, you know, when my son was five years old and he said, I'm going to conquer the world. And I'm going, well, as a five-year-old, that's pretty funny. Right. <laughs> you know, um, it's just so immature. And the thing that is so strange about it is... It's completely and unequivocally based upon two things. Number one, a deception of the evil one. That if you can get the, the cravings of your flesh, if you can get them, you will feel affirmed, validated, and fully human. And what's fascinating about that is that there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Aristippus, and he postulated a Greek philosophy 
And this Greek philosophy was saying that the best part of life, the most fulfillment part of life is fulfilling pleasure. So you should go out and find out what your desires are and you should fulfill them. And it was called hedonism. Mm. And what's really amazing is the people who shredded hedonism and destroyed the whole notion of hedonism were people like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates who weren't even followers didn't even know who Christ was you know because right. they were three four centuries before Christ so the notion that hedonism is going to provide for you an affirmation of your humanness and validate you as a being and give you a reason for living is in my opinion the ultimate deception of Satan and it's been debunked uh, you don't even have to make a Christian argument against it in its uh, vapidness. You could just go back and read ancient Greek philosophers who are like, yeah, this is really stupid. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. So, so God's cosmic plan always brings peace. It always brings joy because it brings the ultimate fulfillment. And that's where peace and joy comes from. And so, so my, my concern, and I think we ought, we'll talk much more about this on Thursday, about how these principles really impact uh, what we do today and how we address issues. But I'll just kind of whet your appetite. And that is, is that uh, since I'm a pastor, you know, people email me and people say this and, and uh, they, they say, well, you know, as a pastor, they assume I'm a public figure and therefore I have to say something, you know? And so some people are like, well, are you going to say, you know, black lives matter. You're going to say all lives matter. You're going to say blue lives matter. You know, or you're going to say these lives matters. And so what, what I believe when people issue those challenges, sometimes people are just like, uh, sending me an email going, could you kind of give me a little guidance on how to navigate this? Right. Right. You know, but other people who aren't a part of our church are like, you know, what are you going to say? You know, um, I, I get, uh, letters in the mail, you know, uh, that are anonymous, you know, there's no return address. There's no, nothing on that. And, 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 you know, telling me what I should do. And I always go, that's really kind of funny. <laughs> I'm going to blindly follow this person who couldn't yeah. even put their name on it. Put this. their name on it. Yeah. Perfect. And I'm like, okay, well, God, you know, I, 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 I can't say that I know God as much as I would like, but I know his handwriting is not that bad. Yes. <laughs> Rarely does God use poor grammar when he communicates. <laughs> um, but, but I think what happens is to say, okay, what they're trying to do is say, hey, go into this game and by, and I talked about it last Thursday and pick a group, right. you know, you need to pick a group, you need to pick a group. And so what, what I've always felt is the best thing to do is try to have a conversation with a person. And if a person came into me and, and this person was Asian and they looked at me and they said, well, do you believe Asian lives matter? I would look them in the eye and I'd say, your life matters. Your life matters to God. What about all, all of my, yeah, yeah, their lives matter to God. If someone comes and they sit down and they're from uh, Puerto Rico or they're from Mexico, uh, people who come to the Latino church that meets in our facility on Sunday afternoons, you know, if they were to ask me, how do I feel? I'd say, your life matters. Your, your life matters because you have a purpose in God's cosmic plan. So dis- you'll only discover that affirmation of who you are in Christ and Christ alone. 
if someone who comes, you know, uh, from Haiti, if there are people who come from uh, uh, Ethiopia, uh, we have people who are Somalian refugees, you know, uh, who come and eat at our food pantry uh, and get food and we feed them. We just say your life matters, you know. And I think that's what where you have to start is that God starts with individuals, and that's the whole point in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, is that it starts with you as an individual before it can spread out elsewhere. and, And exactly, and start to heal these racial divisions and ethnic divisions. So we're going to dig into that a little bit more on Thursday. So that'll be fun. Well, I'm excited about that. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, We, as always, are looking to share these um, really valuable teachings from Pastor Doug to as many people as possible. So make sure you leave a review. Um, Share this with your friends on your social media. These are words right now that, you know, we talked about this last week that people my age um, are really struggling with um, yeah. finding value and why they should still be alive. Yeah. And this could be the message that they need. So uh, please uh, take that step of faith and share this with people. Um, social media isn't always the best thing in the world that we've ever invented, but it can be used for good. And I think mm-hmm. this could be one of those ways. So thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Salty Pastor. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs>